Welcome to this location where we discuss innovation in real estate. I'm Dr. Poleg. David was not able to join us today. However, for the first time, we do have a special guest. Joining us today is Julian Smith, who is the co-founder and CEO of Breather, a company that operates a network of furnished spaces that companies can access on demand to use for a meeting, an off-site, or a temporary office. Breather so far raised about $150 million in venture capital from investors such as Zach Ahrens, RRE Ventures, Slow Ventures, Temasek, which is the Singapore government's sovereign wealth fund, and Caisse de Depot, which is one of the largest pension funds in Canada and a major property owner. So without further ado, let's say hello to Julian Smith. <laughs> Thank you very much for having me and a uh, nice little intro. I don't know if you rehearsed, but it was pretty good. Thank you. And, uh, you know, you should be honored. You're the first ever guest on this location. So, Dude, I, I'm so, you have no idea. Incredibly honored. <laughs> so, Julian, uh, I, I gave a short in introduction, but tell us, what is Breather? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, uh, the, what is Breather uh, has evolved over time, but fundamentally, the way that we perceive ourselves now and the way that we are perceived in the market is as a flexible uh, commercial space provider or a flexible office provider. And so, uh, when we built our uh, initial product, our objective was that so you could you could instantly access space directly from your phone. And that really means instantaneously the same way that, uh, you know, you can order Uber Eats or something like that and have it at your door. And, and so the way that it works inside of our system is we have access to a set of spaces. There are over 500 and 300 buildings across 10 um, cities. And mm -hmm. each one of those spaces is publicly accessible in the sense that it can be book, booked instantly and you get exclusive access to it. So for most use cases, you could think about that as a temporary office, which could be for a period of a couple months or sometimes for a couple of days for something like an offsite. You get instant access of to, with the, of, of the door that you have, and that door mm -hmm. will remain open for you for the length of the transaction. So it is just like being handed a key by a landlord, but just for a small or you know uh, flexible period of time. And so increasingly, uh, our job is just to connect people to space instantly and make sure that space mm -hmm. is great and productive. I'm actually in a breather right now. So any no noises that anyone hears or if anyone... Uh, bursts into the room, I'm not responsible. Uh, <laughs> and so, hopefully it is productive. <laughs> it is. That's okay. great. Let's see. It's up to us. So you, you mentioned that it went through a certain evolution. So where, where did it begin? Like when and why and how was Breather founded? Yeah. So, I mean, uh, my before I ran this company as its co-founder and CEO, uh, I had a number of different companies, but I worked principally as a freelancer. And what I noticed was that there was no office. I had had a co-working space, one of the first ones, uh, and I was aware that that was useful to me. That it was useful mm -hmm. in a different way that other types of productive space was. I, I used coffee shops. I sometimes used other people's offices. There was a, a all kinds of space that I use for all kinds of use cases. But what I noticed is that there was a, a dearth or an absence of private space. And so mm -hmm. private, in my case at the time, meant might need it for half a day because I'm taking a trip to Boston and I need a day office. Or it might mean that I need space for an hour to take a phone call. And that really depended on the use case and it depended on my location. And I traveled a lot because I also spoke at conferences and was seen sort of as a as an expert. And I would find myself in New York, I'd find myself in San Francisco, basically on the go all the time. And so I created and helped create a network that allowed 
people that needed to be productive, but outside of their usual environment to get the space they needed instantly. And that has become very flexible and it's become uh, really, really scalable. So uh, it continues to scale at a rapid rate and it is increasingly successful. I'm happy that you're in one. It gives you, basically, in case you've never used it, a drawer was able to open the door. He booked the space maybe a day in advance or a few days in advance. Actually, like I think 45 minutes in advance, I just opened the app. I wanted to see if there's a space near my home because I was planning to record it in my home. And then there was a space and I booked it and I was even a little late. So I kind of rented a building, went upstairs, tapped in the, the code and magic it actually worked and now i'm here <laughs> uh, i'm afraid to turn on the the air conditioning because it might be a little too loud for us but uh, mm. the space itself is very pleasant yeah that's great yeah so, and so that's a, the typical use case or a longer one might be a temporary office people use it for three to six months or something like that so you, you mentioned i mean the beginning of it and you have 500 or so spaces now. How, how did it start? Like, what was the first space? How do you go about starting a network of Yeah, of so we spaces? experimented, like many experimental thing, you experiment in Canada at the very beginning to try things out. And then when it goes, when you realize it's successful, then you, you go into the United States. And so we launched in New York after our initial trial period. And, uh, and we launched a few very humble spaces in New York and the space you know, the, the space, the spaces, uh, the word of mouth really took off. And so we found ourselves just all of a sudden having gone from raising a million and a half to six million to later on 20 and it's escalated from there. And that's really just based on people needing space wherever they are, mostly at the time freelancers, although that's grown. And now most of our companies are corporate customers. And, uh, you know, the need for flexible space is real. It's, it's, it, 2018 is a crazy time to be in this industry because it is mm -hmm. growing so much and it's very compelling. And so to be the most flexible provider, which we almost certainly are, you booked it 45 minutes in advance, you're proving that out, uh, is, is a valuable place to be in. And it's really compelling to watch this, the industry be transformed before our very eyes. Now, when I'm when I'm here now in this space, I'm looking around me. So just just maybe to describe, to give a bit of a, a radio uh, atmosphere. So there's a beautiful table. There's kind of some little design items, a really cool chair, and then there's a couch. Now, when I look at this couch and seeing the kind of privacy that you described and how I opened the door, obviously as a human being, I'm starting to get all sorts of ideas of what people might be doing in those spaces. I wonder if this is something that you encountered, and if so, you know, yeah. <laughs> how did you handle that? It's interesting. Uh, when we started this this business in 2013, uh, people would immediately. I think I think whenever you you create a new company uh, and it and it's disruptive, there are crazy things that happen. And you would talk, you mm -hmm. know, people would talk about Facebook as having certain use cases, and we know that they did in the early days, right? And and we would talk about all kinds of different companies, especially networks and especially technology being uh, mm -hmm. really driven by outsiders in a lot of cases, Airbnb being like ridiculed practically at the very beginning and being rejected by a hundred investors, very legendary story at this point. So mm -hmm. we were not rejected by a hundred investors, but uh, but what happens when something comes out, people are like, wow, you could book that for half an hour. And they, they're like, hmm. And of course, so a reputation would precede you. And now I would say our reputation is stellar, really golden among landlords. We're seen as a partner, an amenity provider for them, or in many cases, just a flexible provider that people uh, really trust. And you can, I mean, you know a lot of landlords. I know that you do. And if you mm -hmm. happen to be one and you're listening to this, it's, it's likely that you somewhere in your portfolio, you have a breather space in your building. And it's because you know that we bring really good bookers and tenants and, and that we provide a great experience for them. But definitely, it's, what you do notice is technology disrupts 
industries. And as it does so, the industry is like, yo, it's like, what is happening? And they become very confused and they get certain preconceptions about it. And so any company that's starting something like this has to fight preconceptions like that. And I think that's a normal process. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, th what you described about technology being used in all sorts of weird ways. I mean, I know my experience when I ran my startup, which was some sort of a location-based app, it was mostly an app, but still the fact it was tied somewhat to the physical world always, you know, I would lose sleep over it because you never know what people are actually going to do once you put them together. And I think a business like this that is so physical that it is about spaces and putting people in like, you know, locking them in a room together. How did you tweak the product itself in order to to kind of incentivize mm -hmm. people or disincentivize people to, to yeah. behave in a way that, that you thought was appropriate or kind of... <laughs> it, it actually to... didn't even turn out to be much of an issue. It was really just a perception thing. It turned out that at the very beginning, the business was just created so that people could use it in order to be able to take calls or to be able to unwind or whatever, you know. And, and, and over time, we just progressively discovered as we spoke to more and more customers that everyone was using it for meetings. And then when people would book, you know, half a day and then they would, we could only book seven days in advance in our system at the time, mm -hmm. uh, which seems radically simple and almost uh, reductionist to me now. At the time, that was the way we wanted to do it. And then people would be like, hey, can I book 30 days in advance? And we're like, but why? You know, And it'd be like, uh, but I want to book two days. And you'd be like, but why? And it was very confusing that people would want to use something different yeah. than what we had originally designed. But what you learn in tech and when can you're I building a company. fresh towels as well and like a breakfast? Yeah, and yeah. <laughs> right. And, and so <laughs> what happens is, is, is people react and they, you, you would see them essentially paying with their dollars. And when they pay with their dollars, you're like, oh, I see, Where do, what do I follow? And in our case, we knew very quickly we were in, the, in a productivity industry. And in, for most use cases, that was meeting rooms and it was for companies with budgets and it was that they needed their sales force to be productive or they needed to be in, you know, in, in that particular circumstance, it needed to be productive, whether it be because they're traveling or often be in their own building, which was an amazing surprise. And so even today, one of the most common use cases is people using Breather for extra meeting space uh, in the office where they currently are really is an extra okay. meeting room. And so it is, it's just so amazing to watch. they're in the building or, or their office is nearby or? No, their office is in the building in many cases. That's, that's okay. what's really interesting about it is that th if a landlord sees, if they normally, may, they might provide a, in, in many sort of office parks, you know, as, in Silicon Valley ha has a lot of office parks. So it's one I'm mm -hmm. thinking about right now. There's these random meeting rooms in places, but nobody knows where they are and nobody knows how to use them. And, and they're often not well mm -hmm. designed and they don't know how to book them and they don't know what the price is and all these things. So that initial use case for us, which has then grown into an, a, a much vaster flexible office space industry, is, is something that we realized is like, you need to be productive and if that's in your building or uh, that happens to be while you're on the go, you just need space and you need space very badly because the thing that's most valuable in business is time. And if you can't get stuff mm -hmm. done and you can't get it done on time, then you have much bigger problems. And, and private space happens to be, you know, productive space happens to be a way to solve that that is very effective. Makes sense. So you, you mentioned all the different ways in which people use the space. What were the most surprises kind of uses, like things that you didn't expect or, I mean, and I'm not talking about like, you know, silly, illicit stuff, but actually more mm -hmm. on the productive and work stuff. Yeah. yeah I mean, things that so to tell you the point. truth, like it, it, it was such a, it, it really, the, I think the staggering part to me, shockingly, which should not have been staggering is that people were using it for meetings. And I was like, but why? I really believe that 
people would use it the way they would use a coffee shop. And I mean, in actuality, that to a degree is so true. Sit because, and work alone. Yeah, it's like they want to sit and work and get Wi-Fi. And it turns out you do want to do that. But you actually, even though you want to do that, you might not want to pay. At the time, it was $25 an hour. Now our pricing is dynamic and it's a part of the value prop that we offer. But mm-hmm. uh, people did need to gather in groups of six, in groups of 10, in groups of 20, in groups of 50 sometimes. And there was no space to do that. And there was no way to understand the space, even see it. There was no way for the space to instantly respond. And that's really what we're looking for. That flexibility is like real estate should be instantly responsive to your needs. And the future, just like every other industry that is, you know, you can order some, you can order anything on Amazon. I can order a tarot deck off Amazon from Singapore if I feel like (laughs) it, or I can order a chair or I can order probably like a you know, anything that I want. And and so why doesn't real estate respond that way? I, we, at Breather, we just think that it should be instantly responsive. And so our system is kind of designed with that in mind. Hmm. We'll come back to, to I think, the, the space as a service market and in its future in, in a couple of minutes. But before that, so you mentioned that you were traveling, giving talks, you were a freelancer. Tell us a bit more about like Julian Smith before Breather. Like what, mm-hmm. what exactly were you doing? Who yeah. were you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I had written uh, I, I'd written some bestsellers, so I wrote probably the most uh, well known, or the at least definitely the first social media marketing book. It was a New York Times mm-hmm. bestseller. It was it's called Trust Agents. It was published in two thousand nine, and I co-authored okay. that and two other books that uh, were books about marketing. And I was traveling as sort of a marketing expert. Before that, I ran companies online. And, uh, and that really was most of my career was observing how technology moved industries and how things that are done informally in business eventually get done formally by large companies. So, so things like, you know, affiliate marketing, first they get started by individuals that are sitting in their basement and then eventually they become giant companies. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you, you, I, I remember a site called copy blogger at the time, it still exists. And it was, it was one of the first websites to kind of sell information products in a formal way. And now you have companies like Udemy and you have other information uh, selling companies like Codecademy. And again, there's a formalization of a process. And so the, the informal thing that happens in commercial real estate, state is, can I borrow your meeting room for a call right now, if you don't mind, and you like text the dude or something? And, mm-hmm. and and it's, where do I get space right now to take this call? And the answer is like the whole way. Or it's, I have to call this meeting room provider and go across town or go to the Delta, you know, that is that is in the suburbs to get a meeting space. And it's like, there's no mm-hmm. reason that it, sh- it should work that way if, if the if the industry has like, let's say, 5% vacancy, why why can this space not be instantly bookable and accessible to you? It seems it seems crazy. So we just went out and we tried to solve that. And it's a big thing, but it takes a lot of time to build big things, but we've been pretty successful so far. Good. In terms of your experiences, I mean, coming into this industry, I mean, real estate, kind of a very old, very conservative, very insular in some way industry, what do you think was your your advantages and disadvantages and the general experience of coming in as an outsider, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a guy that's like you said, like a freelancer, I'd say like a pretty colorful guy as well, not the typical kind of real estate uh, exec or entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, how I did mean that it, go. It, it's interesting. Uh, I think typically we are be, we are only scratching the surface of what this this company ultimately will become. And aside from this company in particular, you really always do kind of see outsiders that are taking an industry and they do something new with it that wasn't initially conceived of. 
uh, at, by the people that have been in it their whole lives. So the fact that a door should be instantly accessible and, and bookable uh, via an app was something that you saw in other industries. So you would see uh, in residential that Airbnb was becoming more and more instant book. At the time, not mm-hmm. a great deal, but there was some instant book. And there was things like Hotel Tonight. And of course, there was Uber that had kind of just begun to rise. So you had these examples in other industries of what they call a, uh, a remote control for the real world with your phone. And so I thought, well, I mean, that should apply to doors. And I knew that I didn't think at the time, real estate is not for me. But what I did think is, is space is not sufficiently responsive to my needs as a customer. Admittedly, I'm not a large customer. And I get why commercial real estate responds to real big customers at 100,000 square feet, a million square feet or something. But there is demand at the very bottom. And now we actually don't work with the bottom in the small little pools of demand at all. We work with huge you know, Fortune 500 customers mainly. And those are composed of individual needs for space and team needs for space. And so being reactive to that is something that has taken a long time and is still happening today in commercial real estate. But I would say like, this is a very important time in what I would now call our industry, real estate or real estate tech. And it's mm-hmm. because after many years of working very hard, many people are seeing all kinds of things, different variations on flexible, co-working, uh, private and flexible, like meeting rooms or temporary office, all kinds of different variations are really coming to uh, into the mainstream, and it's and and so, but the, the answer is is as an outsider for any length of time, uh, it, it will be it will be complex, and there is a process of having to explain and educate, and that will go on. I think for probably another five years, even though it's big today, it will be hundred x as big in five years, and we will still be talking about this as if it's a new thing. Why do you think it is happening now? I mean, it's one thing to say, okay, there's some new people that came into the industry. That's great. Mm-hmm. Maybe the landlords were ignoring certain things. But do you think yeah. that on the demand side, something mm-hmm. changed over the last five, seven years that, you know, the tenants suddenly need something that's, that is just not available to yeah. them through traditional channels? Well, I think there, there's a set of macro things that are happening. So as you as you explained, so Temasek is an investor in Breather. And, and so you see global forces. And that's one of the major things is there are huge global forces and giant amounts of cash that are looking for places to you know, ultimately get growth for those dollars or for those that currency, whatever currency it happens to be. And so you, for the first time from a macro perspective, you will see huge piles of cash that need to be deployed and they need to be deployed by these giant funds. And then for the first time, you know, unlike uh, Facebook, which is mostly technology investors and really mostly online, so it's building software, which is quite easily scalable, you see these dollars that are being applied into real world industries. And I think Uber ultimately is what was the the catalyst for this whole thing. People would see huge Mm -hmm. piles of cash that are being deployed towards this industry. And they're like, but they don't own any cars, which is the typical thing that anyone in any industry says when they do own the cars. And they're like, but they don't own them, you know? And uh, and so the fact that giant amounts of money were being deployed into ride sharing for the first time by non-technology people, and they're really like from sovereign wealth fronts, from these crazy, crazy places, implied that this was a global opportunity with network effects, with all of these very positive things. And uh, that uh, pool of money suddenly became much more aware of what the potential was for growth. And they saw it at Uber and they're like, wow. And so they thought, I think, what is the next Uber? 
And mm-hmm. they are still looking and they will always continue to look, I think. And everyone is looking for one. And in real estate, there's a lot of that money as well. Uh, they cannot invest in Uber at a $50 billion valuation or where that isn't the answer. And so they look for other alternatives. But tell me, on more. I'm thinking more on the consumer side, so on the user side, the tenants themselves, did anything change there or was it just like an opportunity that was, you know, just waiting for the right amount of you know, money to you show know, up? I, I think and, uh, that's a good question. And you're, you're right about that. On consumer side, what has happened is that people really focus on user experience. And so mm-hmm. if you're building a startup, we always talk the most about product. For us, product means physical space. And it means the digital product, which is like the access, the booking, often the lock we will actually include. We built our own locks, so we're starting to these days. And mm-hmm. in doing so, we think about the whole experience and reducing the friction. And I think that mostly when there were flexible options in 2000, the, the, flexible, the flexible office experience was not very user-friendly. And so suddenly, with technology companies coming into the fore and these huge piles of cash that are sort of being deployed at the same time, you get these really user-friendly options. And these user-friendly options are very rapidly adopted because they have a really good word of mouth. And so whether that be co-working and it's like, hey, what's up? Oh, you need more space? Well, I just rent this desk at this place. You should find five desks there. And you go and it looks great. Or you book a breather space, you get that aha moment where you open the door, which I think just happened to you. And you're like, wow, this is super nice, which I still feel mm-hmm. even several years later, that customer experience and that virality that comes with it and the brand that can be built with that customer experience is incredibly powerful. And when you see it in commercial real estate, when uh, the amount of customer focus is not as intensive, typically, I think, in the terms of the virality. If, it, if it's there at all, I would say. I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I can't say. Yeah, But definitely, we focus on it a lot and reducing the friction. Uh, you, when you reduce friction, you increase word of mouth. And when you increase word of mouth, you increase the speed of growth. And when you increase the speed of growth, you increase the valuation. So I think all those things ultimately kind of work in, work in tandem with each other. You mentioned that you see your product as, I mean, the physical space itself, then the app, uh, the, the lock as well now. Which one came first? So you started with a website to see if there's demand or you started with a space and just let people use it? Mm-hmm. I, we thought, what was the first kind of breather mm-hmm. 0.1? The, the first connection for me was, well, the, the, really the first thing was I need a space that isn't a cafe. And although most people for us, breather don't use it in competition with a cafe at all. They use it in competition with their own office or with another flexible space provider. And we, we need a coffee machine here, by the way. I mean, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So if you, it's, you know, we, we can, we can do better even on customer experience. But so the, the way that we, when we think about it, I, you're looking at something that is fundamentally an alternative and you look at that alternative and you think, okay, well, how can I, how can I be better than that thing? And how can I help mm-hmm. that thing? And so if you can do better, and if you can provide an experience, so what's going to happen is, is you're going to get an increasing word of mouth, you get an increasing amount of, of uh, customer experience from that, and you get a better return rate, right? And I think that that's really central to it. Where do you see this? So we're talking about these changes in needs, both on the customer side, the fact that suddenly there's a lot of money to back new ideas and the need to create new experiences. Where do you see this whole space as a service market going? I mean, how big will it be as a percentage of total office supply? I mean, I think everything is becoming service over time. It's funny. I I think about, we were just talking earlier about Mark Benioff. And when we think about Mm -hmm. Mark Benioff. Salesforce. 
Yeah, who's the the CEO and and founder of Salesforce, and and mm-hmm. for ten years the, the the phrase space as a service comes from software as a service, and he was talking mm-hmm. about software service ten years before the mainstream. And for those of us who right, are, there's a great book that he wrote about his that's right. Yeah, as well, and imagine right. it takes a book, it takes ten years of evangelism to to be able to get something into the mainstream. The first year that he's mm-hmm. talking about it, guess where ninety nine percent of those sales are happening for software? Well, they're still on the shelf. And you're going into a mall in in like, you know, some suburb of Idaho and you're buying Photoshop like off the shelf. And it's a big box, even though it's a tiny set of disks inside. You know, many of us still remember buying software in this way. And then you come home and you open the box and, you know, it is a beautiful, very colorful box that probably costs a lot of money to design. And inside it's just a bunch of diskettes or a bunch of CDs or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so then you put them in your computer and it's like, Why? And, and still, soft, software as a service goes on and is talked about for 10 years, and that transition takes forever. So my sense is, is we'll be talking about space as a service with some customers, some breather customers, you know, definitely, I think that will be there in 20 years, and I think much larger. And there will be other, there'll be a number of different providers, and still some property owners will not believe that it's happening. And still some customers will say, well, no, thanks. Like, this is not for me. And that's just a part of the adoption curve. And that takes time. And our job, you know, at Breather, and there are jobs at other companies that do similar, you know, uh, contrasting, but similar things, uh, is is to find the customers that are ready. And I think that there's a lot of customers that are ready and they're re- ready because they're seeing a great user experience ultimately. When one thing that struck me, I remember reading that uh, that Salesforce book about his experiences, like evangelizing and trying to to uh, to get people to adopt a new model, was their kind of B two C to B ish model, where he said that the employees in the companies would actually mm-hmm. start adopting their tools, and then they would go to the CTO or whoever was in charge and tell him, "Listen, like all of us mm-hmm. are using this Salesforce thing." It's really good. Maybe the company should actually pay for it yeah. for us. Mm-hmm. Have you seen something similar with Breather or were you yeah. aiming for something Yeah, and similar? keep in mind, like when this was begun, it was just, oh, you could open space, you know, and that was so interesting to me. And uh, in, in thinking back to the original thing, it's really about the connection of the lock with the phone, right? When you realize that a lock can have an API, uh, then you're like, mm-hmm. oh, well, I can open that with my phone, can I? And, I? and my first thought at the time was, when you open it with your phone, it's not that interesting if it's just your door. Like, who cares? You're the only person opening your door. But if I can open 500 doors, that's very powerful. If I can open 10,000 doors, my God, that phone becomes powerful. That app becomes powerful, you know? And so when you yeah, think of it, like better version of yourself, you know, like superpower. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah, yeah, superpower version of yourself. So so it's, it's what, what we noticed, keep in mind that our initial kind of customer, singular customer focus and that customer experience with that one customer. And then you realize over time, maybe in the first year or maybe at the beginning of the second year, that everyone is actually expensing it. And then you're like, oh, Mm -hmm. everyone is expensing it. And then progressively you realize people are just buying stuff out with their budgets because they believe it's the best use of their resources that they have in their department, you know, first marketing departments or first design departments, of course, and typically in technology companies at the very beginning. And then you'll see these people and they're just booking it and paying what are clearly not consumer rates. And that's because they're, again, they're buying time and they're buying productivity. The most valuable thing that you could possibly buy and the best way to do that is to get it in your building or to get it in the building next door if you can, right? So that was definitely Mm -hmm. something that we noticed. We noticed that the customer experience was drawing people in, but when they were paying, they were paying because they want to gather with their colleagues, 
And when they did that and they were able to do it next door or in their building, the amount of productivity that they gained by not having travel time was the most valuable amount of time that they could get back. And so definitely in the same thing, you see you see that consumer inside the business. The consumer is so, making so the decision. So you're selling productivity. Like, yeah, that's right. Because like, they need to get stuff okay. done and they have a budget and they're like, this is the best use of my time. Well, I mean, it makes sense to me. I mean, I, you know, I talk and write a lot about like the jobs to be done. What is the customer actually trying to achieve? And yeah, yeah he's not trying to get a space. He's trying to, you know, get a productive workforce or the, the, hire the, the part, best. The part that's really difficult about this is that doors, you know, buildings, uh, walls, all, keys, all of these things are hard physical things. And to be adaptive for real estate to be adaptive is much more difficult considering all of these physical things that need to be put in sure. space than it is for a car to drive down the street, except on Broadway at 5 p.m., at which point it's a nightmare. But typically it's harder to get the building to accept flexibility as a core part of what it does than it is for a car mm -hmm. to drive down Broadway to get you to the airport, right? And so that is why it takes time. On the customer side, on the business side, they're ready. On the landlord side, you're still having to build things and you always will. And so, but I think that there, there is this increasing amount of value to it. And you will see this kind of thing where the people who do it first ultimately will drive more value than the people who do it last. But that's, that's a choice that every, you know, decision maker at a, at a property management company or at a firm needs to make on their own. So, I mean, you, you alluded to a few difficulties there. What would you say is like the biggest challenge running a space as a service company or a company like Breather? It's reacting to demand sufficiently quickly. Like this, the amount of demand in this space is crazy and staggering. And just like we were talking about with these big firms looking to deploy capital, what you see in the industry is you see that all investors, like there's nobody just doubting how big this is, like just like mm -hmm. literally no one. And that's a hard stop typically with investors because they'll say, well, I don't know if the market size is big enough. But everyone now understands the scope that that uh, flexible office has and how valuable it ultimately will become for whoever is in that, I don't know, top three or whatever spots. Right. And so and so you'll. You know, it, it, and, and back to this idea about uh, about it being customer to business to business, they, they see on the technology side that this is one of the most valuable spaces to be in. Like Andrew Chen, who's at Andreessen Horowitz, among other people mm -hmm. in other industries, really do understand, like, once you get the consumer in the business to be able to see the value and then proselytize that to the business – then you really understand, especially with a market size like this, like why people are attacking this space in such an aggressive way. But from from what I hear in your comments and your experiences, so it sounds like the, the consumers are ready, at least enough of them for now. The investors are ready, so there's a lot of money lined up already in. But it sounds like getting enough inventory, getting enough landlords to allocate space to this is still a problem. A challenge. I mean, I would just say back to the doors and the locks and the walls. I, I think it's not even up to like, it's just because you need to put up walls and you need to put locks on doors and you need to do a bunch of things that are all, that are fundamentally physical. Uh, capital moves fast. Technology moves fast. Product can move fast. Uh, you know, engineers, data scientists, AI, machine learning specialists, all of those move fast. 
But there is this pace that the real estate industry is in, and it's not about them wanting to move fast or slow. It just moves a certain direction. But technology, meanwhile, is just always pushing the boundaries. So it's about finding a good balance in between. Yeah, as the saying goes, money talks, real estate doesn't walk. So, I so. have never heard that in my whole life. <laughs> I actually made it up a month ago in one of my articles. Got it. <laughs> so, well, what do you think is the most misunderstood thing about Breeder? Like, you know, when you go and you speak to landlords or, you know, potential customers, I would, what don't they get that you wish, yeah. you know, was, I mean, was I, a little I, I think, people? Yeah, back in the day, what I would have said is people compare us to a coffee shop. And they, the reason that they thought that is probably because I told them that or, or they heard that from someone else. But I would say today it's that the variability of our booking system is highly variable deliberately. And that you can book mm-hmm. us for, you know, half a day or two hours for that matter if you want, but you can also book Breather for six months. And the way that we work is that we specifically attempt to be able to uh, make the square feet flexible to any booking size on purpose. And, and that's the way that we maximize yield is whether we maximize yield for ourselves or the way that we make the price good for the Uh, ultimate consumer or a business that's paying for it. And it's the way that we make sure that we make yield for the landlord and it is valuable for the landlord. And so uh, I would say for us, it's about the fact that we're deliberately creating that ability to book short, long, medium, and we do it so that the consumer can get what they want in the easiest possible way. And and so ultimately, the consumer focus is really what drives us, right? Making a good experience and making space productive for people, and whether that be for short mm-hmm. or long periods. So for, for those that stay for six months, I mean, it sounds, you know, an evolution from the original idea of this guy with the computer that, that needs Wi-Fi and a place to sit. And I know that you guys announced a new product only a few weeks ago, right? Like the month plus the ability to actually book spaces. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's a, everything is a reaction to the market. Remember when the first time mm-hmm. when someone said to me, uh, but I want to book further than seven days in advance. And I'm like, why? You know, I think I thought of it as an on, pure on-demand product. And today, mm-hmm. we just realized that flexible office is as vast as the consumers and the businesses inside of it, whether that be the first meeting that a business ever needs to, to sign the articles of incorporation or whatever, uh, all the way to an annual meeting for 100 people at once. That is the, those, are the ver- vari- those are the various use cases that you get from business and many things in between. And so fundamentally, real estate needs to be Real time is a very big thing to say, but real, real estate needs to be real time responsive to those things. And that is the quest of a lifetime. And uh, I really believe that we are watching in 2018, we're watching it happen in the, at the fastest rate that it has ever happened. And when, when you say, I mean, okay, we're listening to the customers, how do you pick something like that up? So you were doing shorter term, flexible space. How do you decide that you know the customers are interested in in six months period? Do they yeah. tell you no, we just yeah we, we, we just literally talk to them. So I mean we have we have okay. account managers or our companies have our companies that are our customers of ours have account managers. We talk to consumers whenever they book with us, they leave ratings with us the same way they do with Uber or with Airbnb, right? And so that full that real-time response responsiveness is very important to what we do. Every time that someone books for they do a day office, They leave us a note and they leave us a sense of how it was. A part of real estate being responsive is knowing whether that experience was three stars, five stars, and why. 
And so mm-hmm. what can we do better for you? And, and the fact that you get that real-time responsiveness means that if there's construction across the street and that results in a two-star experience instead of a five-star experience, you now know how to manage that and those data points and what they affect in the future for future bookings. And you know that all, all of that in real time. And that's not something that many people have. The pricing data, you know, famously, I would say, we have something like 180 million data points on pricing in our system, and it's growing. And the reason it's growing is because we get real-time booking data from people. We're the only people to have that. So that value, that intangible sort of data value of the system is just increasing. And, uh, and so that's, that's how we know. We know because people are constantly giving us feedback because we have a product that people hold on their phones, which is the, you know, the most, one of the most important uh, experience points of their whole lives. They're holding it in their pocket. They interact with it hundreds of times a day. And sometimes during those hundred times, they tell Breather what we can do better and we listen. So what are some of those things? I mean, that people said, okay, you know, I don't like it, make it better change it, some of the kind of more like, you know, recurring themes or, or some stuff that was yeah. one way. I mean, one of them, one of them is just is, is being able to book over 30 days. Remember our system, just like it couldn't take seven day bookings or uh, bookings over seven days from now at the time mm-hmm. was, I know I can book this for days and I can book it for several days, but I need it right now and I need it for 45 days in seven days from now. Can you provide that? And the answer is, is we always could, but it wasn't, our system could not react in that speedy of a time, and it wasn't built in that way. So continuously, when you build technology, you're always kind of rebuilding it from the ground up for new use cases. It's kind of pretty, it's pretty normal. Same way Facebook launches a marketplace, and they have to rebuild so much of it or whatever. And so mm-hmm. when you're building technology products, uh, for us, it's, it's all about all of these feedback points. What we, you know, what I, I don't think a landlord gets much when a meeting is canceled. If a meeting is canceled, not with a landlord, but I mean, inside of our space here on Broadway in New York, where I am right now, uh, if you are, if, if me and one of my uh, real estate leads, Hank, who is sitting next to me outside of this room, uh, we cancel a meeting, the landlord does not get any, any data about that. But Breather gets data mm-hmm. every time that a meeting is canceled, and we know why. And so we can react to that. And if a space is too expensive, it is too expensive at 2 p.m., but it's actually well-priced for 10 a.m., we know that, right? And if a space needs more uh, uh, people at a, uh, at a meeting room table and, less, and not have a couch, for example, and so we can then react to be able to make that space more effective for the customers. And we really do that in real time. You know, we have an operations team that is that literally go around the city, making sure that every space is tidy all the time and that it's really t- well taken care of so that every first experience gives that aha moment. And so that real-time reactivity mm-hmm. is very difficult to build at the beginning. And it's some, something that I don't think the, the real estate industry is really used to. But for us, it was needed. And now that we have it, we really take advantage of it. We respond quickly. Uh, we, you know, we, we add... Uh, sometimes catering into bookings. We will add whiteboards so that people can be more productive if they need something in a space. We'll bring them, you know, 50 bottles of water 24 hours before they need it and have booked it. Like there's all of these ways that real estate can be responsive to the mm-hmm. needs of the tenants or the bookers in the building. And, and Breather's really trying to be the best way to interact with all those things. So that that transition from, you know, for allowing people to suddenly book for 30 days or longer, I mean, you you mentioned what happens in the app, but how does it affect the nitty gritty of the space? Were there any changes 
necessary for the spaces themselves i mean obviously to be somewhere for an hour to be somewhere for two yeah, months for, of course it's huge yeah but i mean there's there's design changes we have a full-time design team right and so our design team uh also gets gets ethnographic research and responds to our customers that have been there for two months or they've been there for two days right and so we know for example oh he like okay this table is effective and it's a good table but we need chargers that are maybe inside the table in order to make sure that eight people can charge their laptops at once which was not a use case that we envisioned but of course people do that mm-hmm. or uh we uh like we recently started offering custom layouts and custom layouts are an aspect of being able to be responsive to space. If they want a U, uh, so they can all talk with their with their tables in a U shape, or they want them in a classroom format, we can offer them custom layouts. And then we make sure that the tables have wheels so they actually can be rolled back and forth. And so that responsiveness, hmm. especially between bookings, is very interesting to know more about. And I have a ton of info about it, of course, now. And it's, it's especially important when the use cases are different and when the bookers and the companies are different from one day to the next. So do they want a classroom? Like some of these education companies, not uh, the ones that I've mentioned specifically, I'm thinking about another right now, are huge customers of ours. And when they are, they demand certain layouts. But then the next booking, which might be an hour later, needs another type of layout. So imagine the responsiveness that you need to be able to do that, not inside of a building where we have an operator dedicated to that building, but rather just like in the middle of Midtown. And then how do you make sure that that happens in the middle of Midtown? And drones won't get yeah, there, I mean, you know? the- that's definitely a new a new experience in real estate i would say when when you look so you spoke about like the the size and scope of the opportunity for for space as a service and how the industry is changing and you know when we kind of survey the the landscape or the or the the battlefield so you know we see we work they started as a co-working company then moved to power by we like to focus on more enterprise clients now they're even becoming a commercial broker uh, here in New York, uh, you have convened that started more on the events, kind of catered corporate event side and is now moving to be an amenity space for actual buildings and then possibly even a, a workspace on demand for people within those buildings and even people that come from the outside for longer periods. Uh, we have the office group, which started in London as more of a kind of cool, trendy, somewhat upscale uh, flexible space operator. But now with Blackstone's backing is looking to expand. Uh, to other cities there's industrious which is i think started very similarly to WeWork, but are now seem to be experimenting more with kind of management agreements with landlords where do you see breather fit into this landscape Mm -hmm. like you know in in five years what does each of these companies do are they all the same Mm -hmm. what well i mean so first of all the thing that i'll say is that this is one maybe one of the industries where where there is a room for multiple winners right like you don't see two airbnbs and there's only one. And that's because of network effects. And network effects are driven by mm-hmm. technology. Now, in at Uber, what you will see is you will see some network effects. And network effects exist. But there are two substitutes, you know, at least in New York, that are ultimately just as effective. So there's Uber and there's Lyft. And in this case, the last time that I called one, I called a Lyft. And the reason for that is because it's just as good as Uber and they're both two minutes away, right, in that particular area. If one of them was two minutes away, the other one was five minutes mm-hmm. away, I would probably choose the two minute instead of the five minute. So in this particular case, in our industry, uh, with what we see historically is we just see technology being dominant. And that's why our company was designed technology first. And the way to know if a company is technology first is uh, if you remove the tech from the business, will it evaporate or will it continue to exist? And if it will 
if, if it'll vaporize the company, then it's because it's a tech company. If it will not vaporize the company, then you know that it's not actually a tech company. Now, everyone wants to build tech and everyone understands this. And the real question is, is do they have a technology DNA? In my case, I believe that Breather has a technology DNA. And so we benefit from network effects and we benefit from a real interest in machine learning, which we use for pricing, which we use for security, which we use for lots of different reasons. And so, uh, but I don't believe that this is because of the way that real estate is built. I believe that there can be multiple multi-billion dollar success stories and each of each of which shockingly can really just scratch the surface of traditional real estate. The reality is, mm-hmm. is that you can have each, you know, I don't know, it's an easy example, but if co-working becomes 2% of flexible, uh, 2% of all the real estate, that's a huge success, especially if it's one or two companies. Mm-hmm. But real estate won't radically change. And then if you have breather and breather is 2% of all of commercial real estate, that's massive, but it also will not radically change the industry. So it's, it's an interesting place to be where you can watch other success stories, but not be threatened by them because there really is a lot of square feet out there. There's a lot of square feet and there's a lot of people that want to use them in a different way. And so are we going to book a wedding at Breather? I sincerely doubt it, but there surely will be. I considered it, by the way. I'm getting married in two well, weeks. You, you know, I, thought, I, I thought you'd give me a good rate. Don't, I'm happy for you, but don't call me because there's <laughs> nothing I can do about that. You know? So the, the point is, is, is space has to be reactive, but it has to be reactive to lots of different use cases. So if they want to book a wedding, they're going to go to peer space or they're going to go to some other provider. But that is not in competition with pure office. And it's not in competition necessarily even with co-working, right? So so I would say there's still going to be a lot of players and there's going to be a lot of money putting a lot of that capital into a number of different players. And you're going to find some that are owned by just, in this case, you know, Blackstone or just owned by a certain one. And then you'll find some that will play well with others. And and so our job is to try and play well with others. And despite the fact that the case de depot is a is an investor that uh, recently came on, and Temasek is a real investor that recently came on. We don't like prefer their buildings over other buildings. We try to treat all buildings mm-hmm. equal, and that that neutrality is really important. You don't see, uh, for uh, rando or ownership reasons, you don't see Airbnb preferring one one house over another house because they gave them money. No, of course, it would be wrong. Uh, and so, so building that neutrality into our system is a super valuable thing for us and something we think will pay a lot of dividends in the long term because it's all about trust. And so for us and working with the landlord and working with the the, the customer, the booker, we always think, how do we increase the trust in the, with the landlord or how do we increase the trust with the booker? And if we can do well and we can make decisions on both sides, I think we're going to turn out great. So you, you touched on an interesting point there in terms of the market share that, you know, let's say the, the addressable market in the, in, the, in the conceivable future for some of these companies, which even if it's a small percentage of the industry, it's still huge in itself. Uh, it brought to mind uh, something that my friend from uh, across the pond, uh, Anthony Slumbers, likes to talk about. He likes to make the comparison, you know, between the iPhone world and the Android world, where Apple at some point had, I think, 12% or 15% of all mobile phone sales. And even today, I think it has around 20 or even less. But it but in terms of its share of the profits, it's probably the inverse of that, like around 70 or 80% of all profits made out of 
out of the mobile phone industry. Do you see similar dynamics emerging in real estate where there's a bunch of these companies that know how to integrate hardware and software and technology together and maybe only operate five or 10% of the space, but actually manage to squeeze out most of the value out of these spaces? And then with a lot of other kind of a fragmented market below them of people that you know, know how to lease an office, but really capture very little of the value and not maybe the best or the best paying customers. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, it's it's. I think that that may be true. And another thing that's just going to be true is, is if if people believe that something is duplicable, like if some landlord believes that they can, I don't know, create co working on their own. Which I'm not saying co working is easy from a design perspective. It's super complex, and a, a business that has a, is giant co working is obviously very complex in lots of different ways. But if but a landlord mm-hmm. may not think that right ultimately. And if a landlord can create yeah. a good and enough, tried or yeah. Want to and so if they think, you know, I can make a floor of co-working and I can like put an ad out at some random place or whatever, or an aggregator comes along uh, and then they're going to find themselves able to duplicate it with a good enough design and with a good enough experience or whatever. It won't be as profitable as, let's say, like a WeWork, but it won't matter to the landlord and they'd prefer to do something on their own as, as, as landlords often do, which is fine, right? And so it's really about what is duplicable by existing players in the industry. And so, you know, was Walmart ever able to really catch up with Amazon? I don't know. It's still a pretty big business and it doesn't have to do the mm-hmm. same thing. Uh, but uh, ultimately, you can see that they're trying to duplicate it, right? And that's true at that scale and it's true at smaller yeah. scales. So you're always going to find, in essence, when, when you find efficiencies, you will find someone who can try and duplicate those efficiencies so they don't have to pay the other guy. And whenever that can be done, it will be done. And so will every landlord end up with their own co-working space? I don't know. I don't think so. But definitely there will be many, many, many attempts. Hmm. So looking beyond, so I think we spoke about Breather and, and, and the market and even about its competitors. Looking more broadly at, at the commercial real estate industry, even real estate as a whole, what do you see as the big problems, the big opportunities that, that young entrepreneurs today should try to solve? Entrepreneurs. I mean, it's so big. You know, that's the thing is there's many opportunities. Uh, I'm just very compelled by being able to provide trust and transactions so that both people win. You know, ultimately, that's that's what you should look for. You should look for high friction, places of high friction. There's a lot of friction in real estate, uh, but you should look for places of high friction and where you could reduce it. And where you can turn, essentially, you can create, there's some process and you can turn that process into software. And if you can take that process hmm. and turn it into software and actually make people buy it, it's another part. Uh, but if you can do that, you can take something and turn it into software, I think you have a winning business of some size. Now, is it a billion-dollar business? I can't say. Uh, is it a industry-transforming thing? Very few things are truly industry-transforming. But you don't have to do that to create a good business for yourself or whatever, right? Now, Breather has very large ambitions, and I think that we're fulfilling at least some of them right now. And, uh, and so... We're doing a good job on that level, but to create a business that just succeeds at making the the commercial real estate space more flexible or it makes it more efficient, I think you just need to look for one particular, what some people will call a schlep. I think Paul Graham initially called it a mm-hmm. schlep, which means- which Yeah, means, schlep blindness. Yeah, yeah schlep blindness, right. Schlep. Which means basically like a part of my French was like a pain in the ass. Somewhere, somewhere there's a thing that annoys you. And it's a weird, obscure thing to be annoyed by, but Breather started that way. It started with a schlep that other people didn't understand, but I deeply understood, which was, I don't understand why it's so hard to get a space for myself or a space to be able to mm-hmm. take a call that's not in the street, 
right? And so that schlep was able to ultimately create a business that is still growing quite quickly and that has raised close to $150 million. So I mean, that was quite a schlep to have found. And there's a whole bunch of them mm-hmm. out there that are like that. And there's many in commercial real estate that Breather is not attacking and probably that no one else is attacking. So looking for those schleps is, I think, the most important thing. So the key is basically knowing Yiddish first. And then once you have the yeah. vocabulary... Mm-hmm. As with many things in life, if you know Yiddish first, things tend to work out. <laughs> so you sound, I mean, quite passionate about Breather, <laughs> as you should be. If you weren't running Breather, what do you think you would be doing right now? Oh, man. I would probably be surfing. I don't know. Uh, I would, I would, uh, I would think about, oh, but for a living, yeah. I mean. <laughs> it's, I, I would think, I would think about some problem that I was deeply, I think I'm a fundamentally a builder and a problem solver. So I would seek out mm-hmm. some problem that I believed, uh, w- I believed would make a bunch of people happy and, and And where they were meaningfully uh, improved by that. There's an app. It was actually, it's a, it was just sold to Bose, I think. And it's called Detour. And it's an audio tour app mm-hmm. of all things. And so uh, you would, I just, in Central Park, you can do this uh, audio yeah. tour of Central Park. It was made by the guy who, who actually is the commissioner of parks of New York City, I believe, right? And so he tells you all about... Uh, Central Park and you walk through it and he shows you little things. And that just is such a magical experience that is aided by technology. You don't have to be sitting with 20 people uh, walking around with them, 19 of them you don't like, you know, and uh, and being told some generic thing by a tour guide. Like software can help those things. And so regardless, I don't know what that next problem would be or what that next solution would be, but I would seek for it to be really elegant and to try and solve a problem that lots of people are facing. Hmm. Nice. So to, to wrap up, I mean, I'm going to try something new on you. I'm going to throw five kind of rapid, rapid fire free association. Mm-hmm. I'm going to throw five words one by one to each one. Just tell me the first thing that comes to mind. Ready? Yes. Canada. Uh, nice. <laughs> Offices. Slow. The future. Compelling. We work big 2018 my year oh. <laughs> wonderful so Julian Smith CEO and co-founder of breather it was a pleasure hosting you as the first guest in this location's history uh, I hope it was pleasant for you as well absolutely thanks for having me wonderful thank you again for joining us and for your time and we will see you all again next week Ta-ta. thanks Julian thank you 